Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is going on, you guys? For this episode of the Rocky Cast, we're going to discuss a landmark study in the world of intermittent fasting. Yes, in the last two weeks, we probably had one of the best peer-reviewed studies on the efficacy of time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting, whichever word you prefer, from one of the best journals in the world, the New England Journal of Medicine. And this study came out April 21st of 2022. So for this particular episode, we're going to study the results of this uh, peer-reviewed journal. I'm going to give you my feedback based upon my experience um, as a, I think I'm an expert intermittent faster by now. I've been doing it for two years and I've lost over 60 pounds. I'm going to offer some critiques of the study. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm not a doctor, but I am a lawyer and I'm trained in the Socratic method. So I'm going to ask some questions about this study. Number four, I'm going to outline why you should still fast, even though the study exists. So let's set the stage for this particular study. I started fasting just because I saw an app on Facebook and they're like, you can get skinny and fit by fasting. I was not aware of any of these debates. And I frankly don't shit whether you believe in fasting or not. But for me and for countless others who struggled with obesity, it was the absolute linchpin uh, to my success in losing 60 pounds. And I believe it's very important that we get its virtues as well as its vices out there so that you can decide about whether you're going to fast or not. I think one of the most unfortunate parts of this particular episode is there's been this huge debate not this episode, this journal article. There's been this huge debate in the world of fasting between the calories in, calories out model of dietary approach and the intermittent fasting group. The calories in, calories out crowd basically says in order to lose weight, you have to lower your calories and increase the amount that you move. So move more, eat less, and that's the approach that's used. The intermittent fasting group says, no, you kind of got it all wrong. There's something deeper and more powerful about what happens when you stop eating in terms of its response to your insulin levels, its ability to help you with ketosis, its ability to help you control your hunger. And it's not just calories in, calories out. It's intermittent fasting. The most popular group is the 16-8 approach. And that is where you don't eat for 16 hours and then you have an eight hour window. Well, this particular study attempted in the New England Journal of Medicine, it was done in China, attempted to answer this question definitively. And it's been reported in um, prestigious journals like and newspapers like the New York Times that the, the headline is, 
is that science finds no benefit to time-restricted eating by Gina Colata. And they quote Dr. Ethan Weiss, a diet researcher at the University of California, San Francisco says, quote unquote, there is no benefit to eating in a narrow window. And Gina Colata also basically confirms this. And some of the other researchers are saying, well, maybe there is. But so basically what they're saying is that for fasting, at most, it's just kind of a cognitive hack to be able to help you reduce with your calorie intake. And to the extent that it works at all, it's just basically a, a little hack that you use to be able to control your calories and nothing more. And so this particular, but of course, this is an empirical question. So this particular journal article in the New England Journal of Medicine, and you can order this and Google it for yourself, but the, calorie, the title of the article is Calorie Restriction with or without time-restricted eating and weight loss, attempted to definitively answer this question. So they took a group of 139 participants, 118 participants um, completed the study. It was done in Guangzhou, China. And essentially they looked at the weight loss, they looked at all sorts of things. It was a very comprehensive study they looked at weight loss, they looked at fat loss, they looked at metabolic factors, and their finding was essentially no difference between the two groups. Both of the participants lost weight, and there was essentially no advantage one way or another. But I think there were some interesting things that sort of look at the study. First of all, let me just outline two of the key results, and here I'm going to get a critique into the world of statistics and professors that I think, I, I think are, it's a weakness of the field. And it's one of the reasons why you can get very smart people doing some kind of dumb things, really. So they looked at these two groups. And first off, they had essentially an eating window of eight to four o'clock, which evidently the reason why they chose this eating window is that, um, and, and they essentially looked at the 16-8 fasting protocol. So essentially they had two groups and they gave them the same amount of calories. The only difference was, is that the intervention group, the one that was put on time-restricted eating, had to consume their calories between eight o'clock in the morning and four o'clock in the afternoon. So they had two groups. The time-restricted eating group was restricted between eight in the morning and four in the afternoon. And essentially the control group could eat the meal um, during three different times throughout the, the, the day, but they, and, and they can also have a time-appropriate snack, um, but they were limited to the exact same amount of calories. For men, they put them on a uh, diet of between 15 to 1,800 calories, and for women, they put them on a diet of 12 to 1,500 calories, which that sort of jumped out at me. That's essentially the semi-starvation amount that Ansel Keys used in his landmarks for semi-starvation study in the 1950s. So I'm wondering whether, I'm just asking questions, did they actually comply with the dietary restriction? I don't know if they did, but so they literally put them on a semi-starvation diet. At least that's why I'm reading the calorie restriction. There's a 25% reduction in terms of what they were typically used to. So what are the results? And here I'm gonna start getting into some of my critique. So in both groups, whether they were the time-restricted group or the control group, they both lost weight. The time-restricted group lost 17 pounds. 
and the control group lost 13.8 pounds. And so in terms of body fat, the time-restricted group lost 5.9 kilograms at 13 pounds of fat, and the control group lost 4.5 kilos or 9.2 pounds of fat. So first off, you may say, oh my God, I thought they said that there was no difference between the two groups. Well, here we get into the question of statistical significance. It did not meet the arbitrary statistical threshold um, to make it quote unquote significant um, between the two groups that, such that we can say that the variable factor, which in this particular case was the time restricted eating window actually affected the weight loss to such a significant degree that we could say that it was significant. And I think that they essentially said that in order for it to be significant, um, they would have to have a difference of at least 2.5 kilograms of um, body weight loss, as opposed to what was reported, which was essentially 1.7 um, kilograms of body weight loss. So that's the first issue. You know, one of the my favorite economists was so so there was a difference between the two groups, and it was consistent with both fat loss and total weight loss. And it was said that it wasn't different because of statistical significance. And here we get into, I think, the first critique of these academic studies. Statistical significance is a, is a standard by which the group agrees whether we're gonna consider it important or not. So you'd say, oh my God, this guy doesn't understand statistics. I went to University of Michigan and there we learned this. So I'm a PhD, or if you were my graduate students, but then you're not in graduate school, you would get an F. You don't know what the hell you're talking about as you swirl your, your cognates. No, I, I do know what I'm talking about. So here, the only one I would point out for this is there's a famous econ uh, economist named Deirdre McCloskey at the University of Chicago. She got into this question of statistical significance it is ultimately a arbitrary threshold where we have to specify the rate at which we consider uh, the, the outcome to be statistically significant or not. In other words, we're gonna, whether we're going to recognize the result as important. As important. Um, now, now, so for example, let's say, well, we're talking about the faculty lounge. Suppose, suppose we have four different studies that confirm this result. In other words, what's the second step for any scientific approach? You have another group in another country using the exact same structure and they replicate the weight loss results. In other words, they replicate a consistently greater, although quote unquote, not statistically significant weight loss, um, but it's still nevertheless consistent over time in different studies. What are we to do with those results? One thing I would say is this finding of greater weight loss is completely significant with the, both the keto and the fasting theoreticians in terms of what we would expect of greater fat loss with time-restricted eating, especially at the 16 to 8 um, threshold. The other thing that I would add related to that is, is that 16-8, I mean, you're, you're kind of a, we'll, we'll get into whether you should still fast or not, but it, it's barely fasting. 
in terms of the metabolic, the calorie impact, these sorts of things. It's barely fasting. So essentially, it's, it's only marginally different than saying whether, and this will get to be whether you should continue to fast or not, um, whether you should continue to fast or not, it, it's marginally different than just three meals a day, um, 12 hour eating, 12 hours not. So as far as that goes, uh, to use this as sort of the, the end all be all, the time restricted eating doesn't work. Um, just isn't true. And the other thing is, is it did find a difference, but though not a statistically significant difference. So I would just close that as a question for further studies. If they also show a consistent finding, then I think it also is something we need to look at. Why is that? What, what's metabolically happening there? So the second critique I would have of it is they use the standard American diet in terms of the thresholds of the macros the carbs, the protein, and, and the fat. 40 to 55% of carbs, 15 to 20% protein, and 20 to 30% fat. And of course, this was done in China, but in terms of the macro breakdown, the other thing that you'll see is that if you start intermittent fasting, you're new to it, you'll likely find yourself in the keto camp. And if you start keto, you'll likely find your way over into the intermittent fasting camp. Why? because both groups tend to agree on the same theory of obesity, which is the insulin theory of obesity. They both have the same theoretical framework for that. So if you're, if you're looking at, I think it would be very interesting to see what would a keto intervention group be? So you're doing keto and time-restricted eating, and then compare that to a carb and um, no time-restricted eating group. To me, that would be very interesting. My hypothesis for further, further study is that that would show a difference uh, in, as far as that goes. So that's the issue related to that. Then I think we get into this question of whether you should continue to fast or whether you should think about it. Because why is this important? Because some of you are sitting on the sidelines, like eating your popcorn, you're like, doctor, should I time restrict eat, eat or, or not? The doctor's gonna say, well, you know, this recent study came out, you should, you know, you can if you want, but it, it's basically just sort of a psychological crutch. Try it, don't try it. Here, I'm here to say, try it. One also thing that I do want to point out, you know, people always talk about, doctor, doctor, before you do anything, yes, talk to your, but also talk to your doctor before you step your pie hole at McDonald's or you eat a lot of sugar or you're getting fat. Talk to your doctor before you do that too, okay? So one interesting thing from the study is that in terms of adverse events between the time-restricted group and the control group, there were no difference in terms of the adverse events. The, the, the caloric restriction in terms of reported adverse events were exactly the same. So there it's very clear that the danger of intermittent fasting, to the extent that some of you are still worried about that, is no greater than the ordinary group in terms of dietary intervention. That's important. So let me tell you and sort of synthesize why I think that this study, I mean, it's the England Journal of Medicine. I mean, these guys are some of the smartest people in the world and um, have some of the strongest levels of peer review and the study was done very well, okay? So what I'm saying though, is that should you study? Should you continue to intermittent fast? So I think the, the unfortunate 
aspect to this study is, is that a lot of you are going to look at this and say, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know. My, my nutritionist is saying that I should just reduce my calories and move more. And the study, not only that, the study says there's no advantage to time-restricted eating. And it's basically total bullshit. Like, it's just not worth anything. So this, I think we're going to get, I'm going to basically say, and I'm going to signal and, and say that you should, um, you should time restrict eat. And, and, and we're going to start with a starting point. What are my credentials? I used to look like this. Remember? Remember this guy? I don't really have a lot of other photos when I was really fat. I'm a little overweight, but not as fat as I was. That's what I used to look before time restricted eating. And I'm just going to use my own experience. And I'm going to also signal to you the power of anecdote, which is by a lot of people considered the worst form of scientific evidence. But then we're also going to get in and to explain why I still think you should fast and why I think that you will lose weight if you do fast as long as you talk to your doctor. Um, and so we'll get into that. So why should you still, in spite of this New England Journal of Article Medics, um, why should you still fast? Well, the first thing about fasting, and I think when I, when I share with you my own journey, I'm almost positive that you're going to have the same outcome, is that once you start, to, this, to a certain degree, the critics of fasting are correct. It is a cognitive fact. And the most beautiful part of it is its simplicity. Because many of you are on this food addiction merry-go-round where you can't stop eating. So the first thing it does is, is that it gives you a very simple rule and only one rule. I think that's one of the reasons why dietitians and academics don't like it. It's so freaking simple, which is just stop eating except during a time window. Now you lose a lot more weight if you actually restrict your calories during that window. But when I started fasting, I didn't even think about calories at all. But here's the magical thing about fasting and just trusting you will experience. Although I didn't intend to reduce my calories when I started fasting, you will magically start losing weight and reducing the amount of food that you eat when you fast. And here's why. When you fast, you get control over your appetite. Your body becomes much more sensitive to calories when you do eat. And what I experience is when you do start eating, you don't eat as much. And just even under the calorie um, count, counting paradigm, just by eliminating breakfast, you're probably cutting out 1,000 to 1,500 calories that you otherwise were adding to your daily food budget alone. So like, so for example, what if you had a couple donuts, glass of milk, and a couple orange juice? Well, just those calories alone, you're probably looking at 1,000 to 1,250 calories. What's the problem with that? You spike your blood sugar. And then you crash. So around 10 to 10.30, you and Chuck, you go get another donut or you go have a muffin, right? It seems low fat. A lot of times muffins can be 500 calories. 
So just by restricting your eating window on the front end, you're saving yourself, even under the conventional model, 1,000 to 1,500 calories easily. So then let's say you continue to eat your McDonald's. Let's say you have a Big Mac. Big Mac's about 500. Large fry can be five to 600 calories. And you have Coke. So you're still eating standard diet. Um, well, that's about, you know, 1250 to 1500 calories that you'd be looking at. So maybe you have one snack. Let's say you have a sugary. So you're still eating this crappy American diet. Uh, and you maybe have another can of Coke, um, which can be about 150 calories have a Snickers bar, which is like 75 to 100 calories. You add an extra 200 calories. So you're looking at about 1750, right? And then you get to dinner and then you have your standard dinner. You have a couple pieces of lasagna, which is about 100,000 calories, a couple glasses of wine, about another, another 500 calories. And then you stop eating. You don't have your evening like I did used to when I was fat. Um, and you had your evening bowl of cherries and bowl of blueberries. I usually have a couple bowls because they were low fat. And I was adding basically about 500 to 1,000 calories. And so just by restric restricting your eating window, you are going to lose. You're just going to lop off about 2,500 calories, even if you're eating the same amount during the day. It's so simple, but here's the other magical thing. So here I use McDonald's as your starting point. When you start, the first couple of days are the most difficult, but after you start getting used to that, your body knows it's not being fed. So I don't want to use the word that it panics at all, but you start craving healthy food. And so even though you started with no intention of eating not McDonald's, you just don't break your fast with McDonald's. You start craving healthy food, healthy fats, because your body knows it's not eating all the time. You start researching. And this is where I went fasting first and then went to keto, a ketogenic diet. We're looking at higher fats, moderate protein, and low carb. And then you feel fed and you start looking for healthy foods and you start researching, well, what's going to make me feel good? What's going to get me my calories when I am eating? And then you have a satiating food and then you're not hungry till dinner. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't, haven't had any snacks. Then you have a nice meal. You're not worried about it. You're also sleeping well and you're also digesting more during the evening. So that is why you will lose weight if you start intermittent fasting. It's a very powerful method. It's simple. Now, what about this question of anecdotes? Am I placing too much weight on my own personal story? Um, and I'm rejecting one of the best journals in the world. Yeah, I am. Because ultimately, here's the problem. This is, by the way, this, it seems like it was a really good journal. Um, this journal was well done. It is one of the best journals in the world by super smart people. Um, Dr. Ethan Weiss had also had a similar study in California, 2020. And interesting about him is that he was actually a proponent of intermittent fasting. And then once he actually did the study, he changed his mind and said, I don't want to, I don't want to do any intermittent fasting. I'm going to start having breakfast again. And so there's these two major studies by super smart people. And I'm basically saying, yeah, ignore them because they are not going to help you lose weight. Because here's really the deal with. A lot of these studies, and I think in general, it's a problem with a lot of academics, 
I mean, so for example, if I were sitting at the faculty lounge, these guys would be like, oh my God, this guy's relying on his own personal experience and he's universalizing it to everyone else. And he is projecting his own experience out of people because that's one of the things like if you, I seem to have any, lots of you in science courses. Oh my God, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. That would be me. Yeah, I am. I, I'm offering my anecdote because ultimately you're the one that's going to have to decide. Here's the thing with the conventional dietary approach. These are the bad news bears. No one loses weight following that approach. Because the success rates of the calories in, calories out model over time in the real world are astonishingly low. And I think it's for two reasons. One is it's too complicated. This is one of the reasons why Noom sucks. You have, you have this app and you gotta like put colors and color code everything and count calories. It's too hard. And what happens is, is that you get stressed out and you're like, your kids are like, daddy, I wanna go to the bathroom or daddy, I, I wanna go to the park. And you're like, God dang it, kids. I don't wanna go to the park. So you get stressed out, you lose track. It's something else to do. It's way, way too complicated. The second reason why I think the traditional approach applies, especially if it's car-drenched, it's a very simple reason. It will not control your hunger. And the thing that fasting allows is that really the 16-8, and you know, Dr. Weiss says that he was a proponent of time-restricted eating, Here's the way to look at 16-8 eating window. It's really just kind of like a gateway into the entire world of fasting. So once you realize you can do 16-8, then periodically you'll start integrating longer fasts, once a quarter, once a month, in some cases even once a week of 24-hour fast or 36-hour fast, which can be very stressful, and especially for the longer fast, those are definitely ones where you are going to want to talk to your doctor. But that's where you get, even under the calories in, calories out model, a significant amount of caloric restriction with that. It's a gateway. No one sticks to the 16-8. So ideally, if you're eating all the time, this is a great way to start. Get used to that. Get familiar with it. And then over time, periodically, do longer fasts. Do shorter fasts. Occasionally take a break from fasting. You will lose weight. My response to this was, is, I'm serious. You know, and again, anecdotes are the worst form of scientific evidence. I acknowledge that. But it really begs the question, here I would sort of logic question back to the conventional wisdom crowd. Why do people fail so often when it seems so obvious? They need to move more and eat less because they have not dealt with the problem of food addiction. And that's what fasting allowed me to do is it allowed me a simple approach that was easy to follow in which after 90 days, people are all already like, what are you doing? I started in May of 2020, I was 300 pounds. By August, people were like, what, what are you doing? And at that point I was 265 pounds. By the time I'd gotten to October, reported my first podcast into it, I was 260 pounds. And now I'm about 240 to 245, really depending upon the day. Occasionally I eat some more, but I'm, I'm pretty much at my target weight. I might try to get down to 2.30 and do some podcasts on that, but it's a sustainable approach. I've done it now for two years. And it really begs the question, you know, you know, with anecdotes, why has it become so popular? 
why has Tony Robbins become so popular? Can we empirically prove that Tony Robbins is a great motivational coach? No, because you, just, you can't do it. The process of doing the study affects the outcome. And I think for a lot of the calories in, calories out, it does work in short clinical intervention trials where everything's done for them and they're, and they're counseled how to do it and they're consciously trying to work because they're being studied. So you're not being studied. You just don't want to look fat and have a dad bod. And that's why you should consider fasting. And no adverse events reported in this study, which has been consistent with my study. Do talk to your doctor. Get a good ketogenic diet. I can give you three, three tips, and I'm going to do a subsequent podcast on it. Cut your alcohol or significantly eliminate alcohol from your diet. Do a healthy ketogenic diet and start with 16-day fasting. And you will lose weight. Trust me, take it to the bank. So I hope you found this episode interest, interesting. You know, when you do episodes, you have a lot of like, oh my God, this is going to be so awesome. But I just wanted to address it. I think this study... Take it for what it's worth, it's important. Um, but I, I think this New England Journal of Medicine study, I think my three takeaways from it, if further studies establish a, a difference between time-restricted eating and non-time-restricted eating in terms of weight loss, although not statistically significant, that's an important signal that I think that we should give certain weight to. Number two, I would like to see this identical study for the ketogenic diet, which again, makes so much more sense to me because both camps kind of identify the same thing. And number three, you know, they, and the studies authors here admit that the reason why they chose eight to 12 is that um, eight to four was that noon or lunch is the biggest meal in, in Chinese culture. Whereas in the United States, dinner is by far the biggest one. And just eliminating the breakfast, eliminating the late night snacking was very significant, um, at least for my own weight loss journey. I'd like to see that study. So take it for what it's worth. Um, you will lose weight um, if you intermittent fast. Take it to the bank, you will. Um, take these uh, studies into, into consideration. But if you tried everything else, which I had done, um, fasting was very important for me. And that's why I wanted to share it with you and not give up on your own weight loss journey. So the, the greatest way for you to do is do your own experiment. Try out intermittent fasting, especially if you're fat. You're, or should I say overweight and share with me your results at rockycast at gmail.com or rockycool at gmail.com. Infinite gratitude to each one of you that spent your time uh, with me on this Rockycast. We continue to do more and more episodes. I think we're really narrowing down the focus on fasting. We'll still do other episodes, but that's going to be the primary focus. So continue to tune into this particular um, podcast. Give me positive reviews on iPad on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all places where podcasts are heard. And also now have my own YouTube channel. Please hit subscribe. should be down there. Um, so let's continue growing this audience on the Rocky Cast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time on the Rocky Cast.